0: This episode of Tune On Toast is brought to you by Hamer Toyota. Here in Southern California, out there in Mission Hills, I have been a customer for over 12 years. Thanks to the entire team at Hamer, including Johnny, the general sales manager. He always has the hookup. He'll treat you like a rock star. In fact, one of the interrupters got a car from Hamer Toyota. The website, H-A-M-E-R, HamerToyota.com. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. (laughs) Wow. I love sandwiches. It's called Tuna on Toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that
1: create it. Stryker's here. Tuna on Toast. Yes. Tuna on Toast.
0: Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker. Thanks for coming back. Or maybe it's your first time. Today, we welcome the great band, the Interrupters, who this Friday have a new record coming out called In the Wild, and it's such a great album. Always so surreal when the guests come over to my house, I I hear that knock on the door and I get, for like two seconds, a really nervous stomach ache. I'm like, oh my God, they drove all the way here, they're coming over, I better do a good job. The interrupters are the best, and a friendly reminder, you can watch all the Tuna on Toast episodes on my YouTube channel, Tuna on Toast with Striker. The audio portions, I always love. They're really, really, really fun, but there's a lot of bonus material that you get if you check out the YouTube channel. So you got Amy, Kevin, Jesse, and Justin, and they are such a cohesive unit, and I think... One of the reasons why they are so loved universally and they are so easy to root for. Number one, they're great at their job. So let's just keep at. They're really, really good songwriters. They're great performers. But they're also good humans. I also feel like if you were to quiz them on the history of not only punk rock music, any sort of music over the last, let's go, 20 years, all of them would get a grade of A. And I think Kevin would get an A plus, 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 plus. Their knowledge is just through the roof. They're self-aware. And Amy interrupt her. And we get into this during the podcast, so I'll just give you the big bullet point. At 18 years old, she got in her car in Montana and drove to Los Angeles and then ended up at the Hollywood sign. And you'll hear the who and the whys and the what's during the podcast 18 years old. Then she would walk up and down Sunset Boulevard and say, do you play punk rock? Are you a punk rocker? Do you know how to play music? I want to be in a punk rock band. And Amy made it happen. How and why and what you're going to hear. And what you may not know, or maybe you do already. Uh, Justin, Kevin, and Jesse, they're brothers from Southern California. Jesse and Justin, of course, are the twins. Kevin is the older brother. And Kevin is married to Amy what a unit this is they're the best they're the interrupters we love them in the wild i'm like jumping out of my chair right now in the wild is the album let's get to it please welcome to the tuna on toast studio the one the only here they are the interrupters watch your head watch your feet
1: okay all right this is nice
0: And this twins, is really you nice. Just, you're just passing that one. <laughs> is that? Are you guys okay? Passing it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Test one, two, three. Hello, 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 hello. Check, check. One, two. Check, check. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. Check,
2: check, hey. Check, check, check. Twin hey. Mike,
3: Twin Mike. Tuna on toast brought to you by Hamer Toyota and <laughs> Yellowtail. What's your tuna of choice? <laughs> Chicken of the sea.
1: How was
0: RuPaul? Did uh, RuPaul say hi? Oh my God. Yes. Oh, good. <laughs>
1: I'm a massive fan of RuPaul, so I was so happy to meet him and he was so sweet. And he was everything that I thought he would be. Punk we talked makeup. he's punk you rock. Did? He likes two-tone. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he was so sweet. And he had a calming presence, even though we were very nervous, but he calmed us down a little bit actually yeah. before we went on. Like,
0: <laughs> check, check. Okay, you guys ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're here at my house in the studio. The Interrupters! We've known each other a long time, and I've gone hiking with the twins, we've done some things together, been to a lot of shows, but now... Here at the house as our relationship Kevin like gone up four notches. I feel like this is the yeah, this is when it starts to
2: get serious, you know? All right.
1: You like you're, you you kind of sound like the cable guy. When you
2: I feel like once I see what's inside of your medicine cabinet, I'll be
0: a little bit more I'll know more. You've already seen
3: what's inside the fridge. That's true.
0: Yeah. Yes. And now as you guys were driving here, were you thinking Amy like, "Why are we going to this idiot's house right now we could just go to a normal studio we have to go to his house
1: absolutely not okay. no we love you and this is yeah. awesome yeah this is great and this is a rad
2: studio and honestly as we're probably going to touch upon later on some of the best studios are in houses
0: oh not? right because <laughs> maybe some people in this room the four of you recorded the new album at home yes
1: <laughs> yes exactly yeah. but we love your show and we're so yeah. excited to be Honored. here thank to you be here. yeah
0: thank you guys i'm very excited to have you we i've had three band members many times on Tuna on Toast, but we are squeezed in like crazy here. So like hopefully, sardines? Like sardines! Yeah. That's exactly right. And just a couple days from now, the new album comes out. Amy, I'll go to you. Are the nerves different from previous years, or is it sampled? old... Maybe anxiety, no anxiety. like what what is it like?
1: I'm always just like cruising at the <laughs> at the anxiety altitude. Um, but I'm like really excited. I'm I feel that this is the most personal album ever. It's the story of my life. I'm finally, you know opening up more than I, I ever have before. I'm finally just being I've just reached another level of vulnerability in my writing. and so I'm excited to to share it. really excited.
0: Is that tough to do in front of your bandmates or is it more tough to do it in front of people you don't know to be that vulnerable?
1: Well, these guys have seen every part of me. So being vulnerable in front of them is not, doesn't even feel vulnerable. It just feels normal. Um, But I, I just feel that in writing this record and unveiling, you know, getting just deeper within myself, I was able to go deeper in the lyrics and, um, and I think that it's just, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of the the work that, I, that we put in.
0: The collection of songs is called In the Wild. Where and when in the process does Amy say to you, hey, for these songs, I really, really want to go this direction. My life, my history, autobiographical. Like, how does that, how did that work? I mean, I feel like every record we make
2: we take a massive inventory of everything we've ever written and that could be old demos voice memos an idea that just gets stuck in our head that we're always singing while we're on tour and before we go in the studio we just kind of get our collection of ideas together and just go through all of them then from there we kind of get together and decide like which ones could we try to play and as we do that we whittle it down even further and this time we got it down to like. I think we were at like 40 song ideas Whoa. and once we got in the studio the ones that she felt the most connected to that's always what we go with and the ones this time that she felt the most connected to were the personal autobiographical ones and it just was like a no-brainer of like okay well then let's leave these other songs off and go with these ones because it felt like the thing you definitely want in a band is for the singer to be all about every single sure. song that right. we're putting on this record you know what I mean so it's like if that's the direction we're going we're all in. Every
0: time. And with the lyrics that you wrote, did you hear any music beforehand or you brought you brought in all these ideas and then the collection of the band says, okay, let's try this. I'm going to drum here. I'm going to bass. I'm going to tar. Like, how, how did that work?
1: Yeah. I mean, each song is a little different, but for the most part, we have the seed of the song. Sometimes we have a verse and a chorus or sometimes I just have a chorus and we then all get together and kind of see what we all kind of add to it to sort of make it, Our own or make it a finished there's always
2: like the idea or the concept of the song and like some melody of it sometimes there's a chord progression too but sometimes there's not and then we have to go in and kind of figure it out and then it's the fun part of kind of figuring out what feels the best and we always do that like the four of us in a room playing live because that's when you know right away like If we could, if it feels good with just the four of us doing this, like this is the way we should go. And if this feels weird, we should try a different style, different tempo. Yeah, we try that a lot. Different
1: styles, tempos, different. Like let's just see, do this style. Let's try this style. Let's try this style. And whatever whatever serves the spirit of the song or the message of the song and the feeling, whatever is kind of, for me, what pulls at the heartstrings the most is the one that I want to do. You know,
0: Justin, was it tough getting in the room with everybody in the middle of COVID and not being lazy? Or was there a hunger like you never had before? Where did it fall for you personally?
3: No, it was definitely hunger. We had enough lazy time before all that to get it (laughs) out of the way. So like once we started actually working on the record, like, all right, we're going in tomorrow, two o'clock. It's like, great, can't wait. And then we'd get in there and you would just lose track of time. and be like, oh, it's eight already. We didn't get dinner.
0: It was really, really fun. And this is medium personal. But Jesse, what was the living situation during COVID, were you guys together in a place? Were you with, what was going on?
3: Yeah, so we all lived together. So me and Justin, were, or me and Justin were home uh, with my now wife. We were just engaged at the time, but now we're married. And they were at their house. So the five of us were kind of all secluded on our property.
2: Bubbled up. Bubbled
3: up. Bubbled up. Yeah. And just down for whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. We live together. We work together. We eat together. <sighs> yeah. I know they
2: eat together all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, they yeah. eat together all the time.
1: Yeah, but when we were doing the record, it was really nice because there was uh, they're, they're the chefs of the family, uh-huh. and they would cook a lot for us and feed us, which yeah. was really nice. It was
2: nice getting that text like, hey, do you want a breakfast sandwich? And I'm like, yes. I think right before the lockdown or maybe during, you guys, the twins got this flat-top grill <laughs> oh. outside. It's like right on their patio. It's like a diner. Like sometimes yeah. they're just flipping pancakes out there. Making... I looked at
3: photos of it every day for like three months. And then finally was like my, my, my wife's parents were coming to town to visit for a month. And I was like, I'm going to buy it.
2: <laughs> and I got it,
3: it as my favorite thing I've ever bought yeah. myself.
1: <laughs> it's my favorite thing you've ever bought. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Do you cook
0: for your wife's parents?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. What the yeah. hell? No, Why would you that... do something like when that? When I got that, her
3: father was coming to town and he's what? like, hey, I'm going to buy you a smoker because I want to smoke some meat when, you, when we're in town. And I was like, I just bought an outdoor flat top grill. I'm gonna have like a little mini kitchen outdoors. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, yeah, we cook big meals all the time. That's it's either-
0: so impressive. Because C- when I think, oh my God, there's mm-hmm. parents of a partner coming over, I just think nervous butterflies and stomach ache, and you got to be have bring your A game, yeah, yeah. and now you got to cook your A game. Awesome. <laughs> Kevin, with all your history in this music world mm-hmm. and the success of the Interrupters. Do you have anything going on in the back of your head that you have to live up to something in your own mind right now or that doesn't even happen with you?
2: I'm constantly just in awe and super grateful of the people I get to make music with. And I just have to keep up with them. That And that was kind of with making this record and being the producer of the record right. was like and when, I, when they're performing the way they're performing – my job's easy. And the other thing is we all trust each other so much that like, you know, there's different production, you know, techniques. And I think there's some people that are really hands-on with like, it's gotta be exactly like this, exactly like this. But like, I'm always like throwing it back to them. And especially too, like with you, like Jesse on drums, like, Oh, I was thinking something like this, try that. And then he'll try it. And then he'll be like, well, what about if we did it more? And I'm like, yes, now we're speaking the same language. It's never like, you have to do it like this. And it has to be like that. And then Amy would hear stuff and if she's got an idea, you know, as like the songwriter, like I want the production to reflect the feeling she has with that. So the only thing I wanted to live up to was I was so, so happy with these songs and grateful to be making this record that like, I just wanted them to be as good as they can be with the recordings we had and like what in that time it's like every record is like a moment in time you know what I mean right if we tried right. to re-record our first record or our second record next week it would be different there might be parts of it that is like better but then it would, you, there'd be parts that you lose because it's like almost like a diary entry so like with this record we did have the luxury of time and we just wanted each song to just be as good as it could be and have the whole thing just be cohesive and so that's all I really needed to live up to you know And when you're stacking one song against the next, you're like, oh, well, this one is so great. How can we make this one as good as this one? And then you have like kind of a barometer to kind of judge on.
0: Amy, you guys have worked with obviously Tim Armstrong on your records, he's producer, and now it's this gentleman doing it. Was there a conversation that, all right, when we make the new album, he's gonna produce this one. How did the band come together to say, yeah, of course we're gonna do it this way.
1: It was the pandemic. You know, yeah. so we're just locked down, you know, <laughs> yeah. so we called Tim and we couldn't go to the studio and we had done some co-writing with him before the, the, the pandemic, before the lockdown. And so, you know, he gave us this blessing and, and, um, he was happy to s- hear that we were, had a studio that we could record in. And-, yeah,
2: and some of those songs that we had like co-written with him before ended up fitting into the big picture of the story that we, that became in the wild. So that's cool. He's represented as like a songwriter, a co-writer on on a couple of these tracks. So it's kind of like, we still have like in our DNA, you know, the Hellcat records and all of that stuff. And so he's singing on a track. He's singing on a track. Everything on this record kind of happened. But just, it was a result of the situation we were in. Like if a year before I was like, hey, you guys, we're going to not leave the house for a <laughs> year and build a studio in the garage. They'd be like, you're crazy. Like, could I at least go to the, beach or the movies. I'd be like, no, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> like, can you imagine that right, conversation? Right.
1: And yeah. we're just going to sit in a 10 by 10, 10. room and yeah. do this album. But that's what we did. They yeah. built it. They took the rehearsal space and they built a studio from YouTube videos. Come on.
3: Yeah, It's just a little bit longer than this room. It's not much bigger than this
0: room. And you yeah. went on YouTube and what did you search for your first search?
3: Um, <laughs> uh, That's a good question because we had built like shelves and stuff, so we knew our way around like a saw. (laughs) <laughs> building like tables and furniture, <laughs> yes, yeah, and like a rack space to put uh, actual gear in. Yeah, yeah like they built like, all the
2: studio furniture. Yeah, like, that whoa. was actually
3: more complicated at the end because like we built it and we're like, oh, it's perfect. You know, it was supposed to be like twenty three inches or something. Great. Was like nineteen and three. Inches. <laughs> yeah, but what they don't tell you is that once you put something together, the wood shrinks. Oh, so like <laughs> overnight, it kind of shrunk, and then we're like, per- first piece of gear, and it was just like this little bit too the too small. <laughs> So they were, like, trying to get it in. It works, <laughs> it works great. Yeah. I think we
1: flipped
3: it on its back and tried to let the gravity do some of the work. We yep. like pushing this compressor It was pretty, it like, was pretty <laughs>
2: funny, though, because every day, okay, like, when I when we kind of conceptualize this idea of like, okay, we're going to build this studio and I go to the twins and I'm like, you guys just, they could just had been acquiring power tools over the course. And I don't know what they were planning on doing with these power tools, but they had been acquiring a collection (laughs) of power tools. And I was like, you've got the tools. We have all this scrap wood because we, I started looking into like to get all this stuff for a studio and it was just like way too expensive. And I was like, well, this rack that costs $1,700, you guys could build for like 200 bucks. And you know, we were like, absolutely. Yeah. So I was like, in my mind, I'm like, in two weeks we're good. Six weeks later, <laughs> <laughs> it was it, uh, the majority of it had been built. But then I start getting crazy with like. I remember walking in the room one day and saying, "The walls, now th- these tables are too nice. Now we need to fabricate the walls." So I went on JoannsFabrics.com and like bought all this. Oh my Like God. it looked like Dickies, like khaki fabric, and I st- we got staple guns and started stapling it. And I think totally the- DIY. Oh yeah, 100 percent.
1: Right? And the it t- the dryer the hole in the wall yeah we, they had a so YouTube that to answer your question oh that
2: was
3: yeah. a big YouTube thing we needed to put a hole in the wall to run cables okay and it was the the walls are extra thick because like one side is kind of like uh, treated with like a soundproof wood and the plaster so to get through it we had to buy one of those dryer hole drillers right that, like <laughs> to install a dryer <laughs> vent right. yeah, was like, like yeah. skinny dryer
0: saws yeah. or,
2: or it looks like this and it goes and it goes okay. really fast yeah. And I just remember us <laughs> watching that video and being like, and and yeah, I mean we like, rent. If we so mess, up there's, <laughs> a, mess it up, there's a big hole in the wall. If we yeah, mess yeah, up. <laughs> so, but you guys did a great job, and they put PVC pipe through it, so the cables are like laying in
1: this. I and mean, they built boxes around our amps so that, that we won't wake the neighbors. You know, like yeah. little isolation oh boxes, God. which is really what great.
0: Is, that's so inspirational for like <laughs> any young bands that are watching right now. These guys have years and years of experience. And here you are at home during the pandemic, YouTubing and building the South. That's so, so impressive.
1: I didn't build Thank anything. You. Oh,
0: but you YouTubed, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, you I, watched.
1: I, I, I was like, this is really great, you guys. Yeah. Like, make you a tea or something. No, I, I, um, I was writing lyrics. and, and It's true. And... Being introspective, and I was doing other things. Mm-hmm. But while they were in the backyard doing the the sanding and the drilling and things. So, from
0: some of the s you have gone through in your life, and also the good stuff in your life, as a result of all that, all that that led you to a lot of the songs that are on this album. Yes. Wow. So when you a second ago introspective, you said so. Did you have to like put the pen up here and think about? like some of these times and then just like tears stream down your face? Or am I overthinking this?
1: No, no, um, that happens. (laughs) That happens a lot. But I think the biggest thing that changed my life in the course of making this record is this treatment that I did called TMS. And I did it around the time you guys were building. It was, yeah. During the time, during the time. So they were building the studio and I was every day for six weeks, I went to treatment for depression. And the, um, it basically, have you heard of it? Like, do you, are you familiar with no, it at all?
0: No.
2: Transcranial magnetic stimulation okay. therapy.
1: Yeah, and so basically they, you know, doctors studied, scientists studied 100,000 brains, and they saw that in all of these brains, there was a little dark spot in the brain with people with major depression that didn't light up, that it was just like this little black spot that just didn't get any stimulation to it. And for whatever reason, they kind of found this is kind of interesting. Why is it that all these people with depression have this one part of the brain that's not simulated? So I've had major depressive disorder. I've had major depression most of my life, o- all of my life, really, since I can remember. I just thought that was life, to be honest. I just thought – I never knew the feeling of waking up in the morning and being happy that you woke up until I did this treatment. So um, – Basically, they put a magnet on your head and they stimulate that part of your brain for six weeks every day. You get one day off a week, but it's an hour a day for six weeks. And when I started going, I, when I went to the, when I went to the um, doctor, they do all of this analysis and you tell them between one and ten how you're feeling. Ten being you are actively wanting to die. And one being like you're so excited about life, super happy and there's no complaints and everything's perfect. And I, when I started going, once I answer the questions, I was like, well, I guess, I mean, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. Oh. And I've been a 10 for a long time, oh. maybe a nine on a good day or something. But I'm like between a nine or a 10, that's just been my life. I didn't, and I've been on many antidepressants and they would work for a little bit. But for the most part, my, I just had been, I have struggled with depression. I just didn't think there was a help for me. At the end of the six weeks, so af- after a couple of weeks, I got down to a nine and an eight, and I went to my doctor and I, I just said, "If I leave here an eight, which is which is not wanting to die, but not being super excited about about um, waking up in the morning, but you know not being uh, in that dark of a place that I, I had been in, I'm so happy with an eight. An eight's great. Eight is the best I could uh, imagine." I, right. And I said, "I don't think." I could ever be anything I just didn't have a lot of hope that I could be any a, better than that. It was kind of happy that I was gonna get that. Which and, and the, hold
0: on, but I mean for most people, I would say, I wanna be a four. And you're saying that you'd be happy with an eight, which makes me sad to hear you say that. Sorry to interrupt, but keep going. Well,
1: it was that was that was the best. I mean, I in looking at the number system and what that meant, I was just like, if I could live my life as an eight. I didn't think it could I, I really thought that would be Something I, I, I could carry, and that's something I could manage. And he said to me, "He's like, I've seen your file. I've we've in, we've analyzed you. Everything that I know about you. He's like, I think we could get you down to a one or a two. And I was like, eh, You don't know my life. Like, tr- There's no way. I, I've the life I've lived. The things that have happened to me. There's, it just there's. I doubt it. You know. So it's very skeptical. But I kept going. And then I was a six, seven, and a six, and a five. And by the end of my six weeks, I mean get choked up. At the end, I was I really was a two. And I I've been a two since then as my baseline. Of course you have days like two, three, four, whatever, sure. you know? But my baseline is like a solid two. I don't know what one one freaks me out. Like I don't know. <laughs> One, I, I don't know. That's just, I don't know what that is. That's robotic. Yeah, I think ones <laughs> like one something. just seems scary to me, yeah. but it's like a solid two. And I feel for the first time, literally in my entire life, every day I wake up and Good. I'm so grateful that I woke up. I'm so happy to be alive. I feel so, I feel like this total rebirth, this, and because of that rebirth and being so excited about living and it does feel like I'm truly living for the first time instead of just surviving. I feel like all of my life I've just been surviving from one traumatic event to the next and just surviving, surviving and just being it's kind of thinking that my existence was this cosmic punishment that I, I just have to kind of do my time. And w- once I got the help that I needed, I'm now actually like living and happy and happy to be alive and like even food tastes better music sounds sweeter like everything is is just like the first time i'm living almost so to answer your question this record is a lot of the lyrics were written because i had enough strength to go to those darker places that i couldn't really look at before because when you're already like a nine or a ten you really don't want to dig too deep because that could be kind of scary. So I was able to have the strength and the mental health, like I was mentally healthy enough to really look at things I was always too afraid to look at. And that's that's what I wrote.
0: Thank you for sharing all of that. Wow. (laughs) Deep breath. (laughs) That was amazing. Before the Interrupters officially became a band and you were working with musicians out there that everybody knows. One thing that I have never learned from you is How in the world did you, who did you meet? How did you get, how did, who did you prove yourself to that they said, come on back young man and let's work and I want to teach you stuff. It's weird, right? Well, (laughs) no, we're
2: extremely smart. Well, we were lucky enough also to go to a high school that was like a music high school called Hamilton in LA and they had an electronic music class that I was very advanced in. And that's like what I spent, you know, all those years learning about recording and stuff. So and I played in bands. There were so many musicians there. And my band, that like this, there was this band in my high school that I was a big fan of. They were like seniors when I was freshman, kind of deal. You know what I mean? And then one day they called me to record them and help set up their studio in their garage. When to I to be like the engineer, yeah. When I was in like thing. tenth grade, okay. And I went in, and then I ended up joining that band. And because one of the guitar players left to go work for, he was out of high school and he went to work for a management company. Now, in working at that management company, he met a manager that managed a band called The Transplants, who told him, "We were the Transplants are looking for a keyboard player to go on the Warp Tour. And he goes, oh, I know someone that would be perfect for that. And then they called me, and I auditioned, and I got the gig, and that was kind How of- How old were you? 18. 18. Now, wait, did you grow up striving to be a keyboard player? No, but in the studio with, like, the people that I grew up recording, like, they all knew that I knew my way around keyboards, and, like, I could get from point A to point B- and Kevin another, can
1: play every instrument. Well, another <laughs> thing about our high school, thank you, is that we
2: had to take piano class. So I learned Beatles songs, and I, and I knew my way around a keyboard enough. And I went to my transplants audition, 18 years old, you know, 105 pounds. Uh, my dad dropped me off. <laughs> with an 80-pound like, keyboard. <laughs> yeah, with a gigantic keyboard. You brought and your keyboard. Now, who was at the audition? So when I walked in, it was, it was Tim Armstrong. Okay. And I think... When I first got there, it was just him. and I was a m- massive rancid fan. And also I had seen the transplants on their very first tour a couple years prior to that. Like diamonds and guns. Yes. Okay. Like, they did two nights at the Roxy I went. I went up to Fresno to see him. like I was into it, you know So that, <laughs> that's why my friend recommended me. He knew that I like knew the tunes. So I go in there with my gigantic keyboard. And um, I walked in in the middle of someone else's audition, too. There was another guy there, and I kind of sized him up real quick, and I like went outside, and I was just kind of like, oh. oh. I was God. so nervous, too. And then Tim comes outside, and he's like, hey, so you play keyboard? I'm like, yeah, I play keyboard. And he goes, well, cool, yeah, this guy's pretty good, but um, we have a lot of samples on our new record. There's a lot of cool sounds, and I'm just trying to figure out how to get those sounds, like to come out of the speakers, you know? And I was like, well, I actually have Pro Tools at home, and if you give me your album like master stems, I could take them home, put the samples on my keyboard, and then they'll be exactly as they are on your album. And he goes, really, you got Pro Tools at home? Because my dad's an engineer, and he had like a little Pro Tools rig in the house, and I was like, yes. Which is kind of crazy to think about now that I'm like, give me your masters. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to so meet then, you. So then he, go, he, he goes back in the room, the other guy leaves, he asked me to come in and he's like, Could you play Diamonds and Guns? So I played it on piano. He goes, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. And and I was like, I, I think I'm in,
0: you know what I mean? Wait, and, hold on. He said, play Diamonds and Guns. And yeah. I know that. And, it, yep. and how many seconds or minutes did you play it? I played like two bars of it. And he could tell by
2: the two bars, because it's like a loop. He was like, okay, yeah, you got it. Um, and I, I just remember being so nervous. I was like kind of like out of my body. And then like, you know, skinhead Rob shows up. Yeah. Uh, Travis Barker shows up and everyone shows up for band practice. But like, I hadn't in my mind finished the audition yet. So I'm standing there and everyone's just like, why is there a child in our practice room behind this giant keyboard? But anyways, long story short, I got the gig. I went on the warp Tour with them. Come on! I know, through that, you know, I did a lot of engineering work with Tim and Travis, had a studio too at the time. So when we got home from tour, I would go kind of work on other projects with those guys. And then I roadied for a bunch of bands. I just tried to stay busy in music because at the time, I, I was like, I'm going to take a year off before I go to college. I like told my dad and, and he, he was like, really wanted me to go to college. And I was like, I'm going to get work in music within the first year. And after the first semester, he was like, Mm-mm. and then I get the warp Tour. And I was just like, all right, I got to stay busy. So then I would do anything. If I was getting coffee, if I was engineering, if I was setting up drums, guitars, whatever. And through that, I made so many friends. And we, in the, that world of like touring roadies and stuff, everyone looks out for each other. And if you get along, cause like, Fifty percent of your job qualification is being cool on a tour bus to be
0: around and not annoying. Sure. So
2: I worked really hard on being not annoying. I'm sure they would but be were doing that. Were like, you just
0: wide eyed and hyper, or low key and absorbing like, I was and everything happening?
2: Terrified. Just ter- I just remember like there would be days where I'm like, did I say one word to anybody all day today? I did <laughs> on the warp tour. I just been walking around like, oh my gosh, like there's the Offspring, there's the Dropkick Murphys, you know, there's all these bands, and I'm just like ah so scared <laughs> don't say the wrong thing don't say the wrong thing but yeah I mean I. but but you know it's funny is like uh, now all of these guys are such a huge part of all of our story you know with Tim producing our records and putting out our records and like us recording our our record our second record at Travis's studio and, and us opening up for Blink us opening up for Rancid opening up for the Transplants like th- it's it's kind of like all melded into this one kind of like Larger family thing that I'm so happy to be a part of it's it's awesome
1: when when we did uh, a Tour with the transplants and rancid Kevin played in the interrupters and then he went on stage with uh, And played bass in, in the, the transplants plans. and then went on stage and played the keys keyboard. with rancid yeah. So he's in three sets three sets a night. Sets oh at night my yeah, God. yeah
2: but I mean, for the kid who used to go to the warp Tour to see Rancid, who waited outside this abandoned cattle ranch in Fresno to see the transplants, I was like, this is such an amazing opportunity. Yeah. And my band's on the bill, too. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: Unbelievable. The months leading up to the formation of the four of you starting the band, was it someone outside of the four of you that said, you guys should be a band? What the hell is going on? You're playing in all these other bands. You should be a unit. What happened?
3: What it was, was Kevin was producing Amy's next solo record at the time. Right. And it took them to finish the record. It was at Mix, and Amy goes, I don't want to be a solo artist anymore. <laughs> she's like, I want to yeah. be in a band. And we had played on those sessions for the solo You album. did. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were on band. it. Yeah. Justin played some bass and keys, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that rec there's a unreleased solo but now it's a treasure trove of songs for us
2: yeah also tim was co-writing on that record too so when she goes i don't want to be a solo artist let's make it a band and we i we just decided to start a band we got the band name and when we told tim he was like that is like the best lineup and the best idea ever i'd be down to produce you and you know hopefully put out your record on hellcat and we were like oh my gosh this is like insane so we got in the studio and we kind of like Left that record and just built a whole new record yeah. based on the excitement of starting this band and like being in the studio with Tim as a producer. Like it was just such a cool whirlwind moment. We we worked so fast. I mean, remember how fast? Like that first record yeah. probably spent like four actual days of recording on it because we were just oh. boom
0: boom boom, and it was it was awesome. Yeah. Jesse, did your dad say to you ever? I don't know if you three brothers should be in a band. It could go totally haywire, or was it the opposite? It
3: was. The opposite. He, he never strictly said like you three should be playing music together, but it's just the way it worked out. He made everything available to us. There was a drum set in the house. He had a guitar, bass, keyboards, a Pro Tools rig in the house. So that was our video game at his house. We would go over there and we would play music. We'd record music. We'd listen to music. That was just the environment he
1: kind of created at his house.
3: So it was very natural for the three of us. Um, from a very, and young, from age. A very yeah. young age. From
1: a very young how old were you guys when you started your first band with just you three?
3: Our first recording was probably when we were eight years old and Kevin was 11. 11. or something, yeah. And that was our dad at a studio in Burbank and he would take us there when he had to work but I don't know, one day he had time to kill him and I was like, you guys should record a song. So we did... When I Come Around by Green Day. And if you
2: want to oh hear God. the worst vocal performance of all time, <laughs> fifth grade Kevin Bavona <laughs> singing. But you were kind I of producing around. it too. I guess, yeah. I just
1: remember. You are yelling at the twins.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. It was. Uh,
1: <laughs> you did the album artwork? I yeah. Know.
2: And it's. It's we were super lucky to be like growing up playing music together because then we all found our own circles and went and joined other bands and played with other people. But it, we ended up right back together because it's just like it. that's just how it, you know, you always want to be in a band with the closest people to you. I think being in a band is a lot like a sibling relationship or a marriage or any sort of like it's like an intimate relationship because you have this common goal in mind. If you really want to go for it and be in a band, you guys all have to have the same like finish line right Right. and you know sometimes we disagree on how to get there but if there's like a mutual respect and everyone feels heard and respected like it's it's a super close thing to be a part of and uh the fact that we have like twins three brothers a husband wife like all within the same band
1: and we spent a lot of years sharing just one room
0: yeah Yeah. and one
1: hotel room for years we we shared very intimate places yeah
0: (laughs) Justin, refresh my memory on professionally and personally, what was happening in your life in 2009, 10, and 11?
3: 2009. Ah. Okay, so in 2009, we, three brothers, were in a band called Telecasters. Yes. And um, we got an opportunity to go on a tour that was um, Sugar Ray and the Dirty Heads. And Kevin had um, been teching for Sugar Ray and just Mark one night was like, yeah, sure. Your band can open like the West Coast Lake. Okay. So we got like a handful of dates. <laughs> it was in September of 09. We get out there and sure enough, Amy's solo artist on that tour. So it's us and Telecaster's Amy, Dirty Head, Sugar Ray. So we do that tour and it's incredibly fun. We're... 20, twenty years, 20 years, years old twenty years old. Okay. Yeah. I remember one of the first <laughs> nights we pull up to like the hotel in Arizona and everyone drops their bags and goes to a bar and me and Jesse are just standing like, oh, we can't do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> but you can watch the banner no. next door, go get a burger. <laughs> yeah. um, so we did that. And then for for me and Jesse after that, like we did telecasters and then we were also starting to tech for more bands. Because Kevin was taking less of that work and kind of passing it to us. And we had met a lot of the same people he had met. And they were really helpful. Just be like, hey, yeah, you can tech this gig. So then 2010, we started working for Sugar Ray.
0: And now when you say working for Sugar Ray and teching, explain quickly what, that what and your own pace, so, what does that mean? So for that
3: particular, for Sugar Ray, me and Jesse were at stage left, stage right. He'd set up the drums and do Rodney's guitar, yeah, and, and then I would that. do bass and Mark's guitar. Would set up everything, tune
2: everything, change the strings. Like a truck, truck full of crew. gear shows up, and the yeah. twins open the truck, right? and they build the yeah. sugar. Wow.
3: And we say, those are the drum trunks. Those go downstage. Uh, that's guitar <laughs> stage right, bass stage left. <laughs> so we were doing that, and they were doing a ton. In 2010-11, they were doing a ton of fly gigs and a bunch of dates. So it was really cool for us, because we were still living at home, and we were working a ton. And uh, eventually during all that that was when they were writing and then the interrupters formed in the end of 2011. And it really just segued into us doing this. I will say at the same time we formed the interrupters, we went to lunch with Mark McGrath and Rodney from Sugar Ray. Right. And they had just, they just broke up with the bass player and the drummer. So they took us out to lunch and said, we want you guys to play bass and drums.
0: Okay, right. So what do you guys say? (laughs) Is that an instant yes? <laughs> uh the, yes yeah. it was
3: absolutely yeah okay I remember it was in November 2011 and guess where we were
1: Jerry's Famous Deli <laughs> yes in on Ventura on Ventura by the bowling alley, alley? Yeah, yeah, I think I had a club ten. sandwich they're looking at me like, because I worked there at one point <laughs> you worked at that Jerry's <laughs> yeah on um, Beverly yeah oh the those one, those one on Beverly really? yeah really yeah the 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 one the next to Guys ship. yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. oh my
0: god guys. okay yeah. hold on <laughs> so Mark McGrath. And Rodney he sat right here once I watched yeah exactly <laughs> can you guys be part of the band so that means you learn every single song and you're on stage and is it like Mark McGrath says guys this is how I want everything to be done and you just kind of follow that lead
3: honestly it wasn't until like so the first rehearsal with us we went in uh, to a rehearsal room we set everything up we dialed in the monitors it's just me and Justin maybe one other tech or was it, just, no, us it was just us two we set everything up rodney and mark come in they go okay let's run let's like run every morning and we're like all right let's do it i count off we go we play it we finish mark turns around and goes why did that sound so good <laughs> and me and justin melt <laughs> <laughs> like, like, melted like the monitors or <laughs> like the music <laughs> and he's just like that just sounded great and like i think from that moment on he was like i made the right choice and so we spent the next year Wow! All of, uh, well, yeah, 2012, touring with them. That was our first summer tour. Uh, amphitheaters, like, uh, amphitheaters in a air, bus,
2: in a bus, yeah, was, comfortable. Yeah,
1: we were like, hey, that's not how it and is, then, right? Yeah, right? Okay yeah. yeah, well, then
2: we get an opportunity yeah. to open up for Rancid and the Transplants in 2013, and they had the opportunity to go out on that tour, and we had to have a sit down and say, listen. Wouldn't you rather get into a minivan? All share the same room, us, one hotel room, and build this band from the ground up. Wait, does that sound enticing? And actually, they came, and then the rest is, you know, history in the making. I guess I don't know. But, but
0: just because you have four super talented people individually doesn't necessarily guarantee that will be it'll be a cohesive unit when the songs are made. So what was the first or second song, Kevin, that you guys made? Did you give it to someone and then it was like, oh, my God, this is a real thing. Here we go. Well, for the interrupters? Yes. Well,
2: I mean, the first song that we ever recorded in the studio together was a song on our first record called A Friend Like Me, which was actually the first single from the first record. It was our opening number for a while live. And it was just one of those things that was like one of these – Songs that Amy and I had like just kind of I know you we just had it in our heads forever and we would always like sing it to each other and then we get in the studio and like kind of worked out this like verse part with Tim and then we just got on our instruments and pressed record and what you hear is like this first sound first first sound we made yeah and that was the first time the interrupters like materialized on a recording so we didn't have like an agenda it was weird we almost were like super I was like, "Oh, I like the way this guitar tone sounds." I was never thinking about how it would sound with that song. Justin's bass sound was like something he came up with. Then Amy, like it was so funny because we go in the studio to record it and she goes, "This is such a weird key." Like I'm singing really low and we were like, "But it sounds really cool." Cuz that's just the way we always did it. She's like, "Uh and I was like, "You know, most people might like want to send it up a register or whatever, but we and it was almost like everything just kind of happened organically in this way where like we that's what we sound like now. And then we just built on that.
0: God, I'm such a fan of you guys individually and as a band. Seriously, I'm inspired and I root for you so hard. Thank Amy, man. I have a can I throw some things at you right, All right now? Hit me. <laughs> Your experience in the music business before the interrupters officially became a band, was it positive, negative, or in the middle?
1: Oh man. It was been a it's been a journey, you know? Uh been a it's been it's just tough business, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I've been doing music, writing songs since I was eight years old. And I've, I've always known that that's what I was going to do with my life. Always. I mean, since, eight, well, since I was eight, since I first, since I wrote my mom a birthday song, because I didn't have any money and, it, and I was so upset that I couldn't buy her a gift. And so I wrote her a birthday song and it's, really it's not a great song but we still sing it every all of us sing it as a family tradition every year for everybody's birthday. We'll sing it for you on your birthday. Okay. Um but yes. it's it's not a great oh, song but it's still it's a tradition. Um but in that moment in writing the song for my mom and seeing the look on her face and the tears in her eyes I just thought I don't need money to buy her a gift. I can m- music is a gift. So I could just write songs and I could give that to people to let them know I love them. And I just started, I just always have written songs. It's just all I've ever, since I was eight years old. And it's how I've gotten through my pain in my life, writing it out and writing, you know, writing so much. And then from my poetry or from my writings, I can find songs in there from that. But sometimes I just have a song that just comes to me without writing it down too. But I, uh, when... Uh, when I was 18, 19 years old, I knew that I wanted to pursue music as a career. And so I met this band in a bar in Montana where I was born and raised. And
0: Where in Montana? What city? Missoula. In Missoula, mm-hmm. Montana. Okay.
1: And um, they were this punk wow. band. They just came through town and they said they lived in L.A. And the night before I met them, I had a dream that I moved to L.A. So when I met them, I was like, I... I just had a dream last night that I moved to LA and you guys live in LA. It's a sign, like I should just go with you guys to LA. <laughs> um, and so um, the next night in town, I had a show with my band. I, I had a little band up there, and they came to the show and they really liked the show and they said I could follow them to LA. Although, like I said, they lived in Orange County, and I could stay <laughs> with them for a couple of days. And um, when I when I got there, I followed them. I left. Town.
0: Did you need permission from your mom? You no. just was like, "This is it. I'm going." So you come to LA in the same van as An them, orange,
1: my own orange car. County. Yeah.
0: Okay, your own car. And
1: I stayed with them for a few days, and then I realized, oh, this isn't really LA. This is. So I decided to take my car, and I drove. This is so ridiculous when I, mean, I say it a lot. But I drove to, to the Hollywood sign because I wanted, or to, so I could see the Hollywood sign because I thought, well, that's LA, and then I'll just park my car, and then I'll. Take a deep breath and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do from there. So I called the bartender from the the bar that I was at where I met these guys. And I said, hey, remember those guys I met in that punk band? Well, I followed them to, you know, California. And long story short, uh, I don't – I'm in L.A. and I don't know anybody. Do you happen to know anybody? And the reason I called that bartender is because there's a little movie called A River Runs Through It that yes, was filmed in with my Brad hometown. Pitt. Yeah. He was an extra. And I thought, like, maybe you <laughs> met like someone from LA.
2: That's the most LA thing in Montana. I know. Oh it God. was the most LA
1: thing. So I thought, well, maybe he knows someone just from the being in the movie or whatever. And he did. And and the per and he said, let me make a phone call. I'm gonna see uh, if, if my friend, you know, has a room for rent, you know, if if, if I could introduce you to my friend. And the person that was his friend that had a room for rent that he said to go to this address and knock on the door, where I was calling is where I was parked. I could see the house no. from where I was. And and I told him what street I was on. He's like, just walk over and knock on the door. I mean, it was the weirdest, most surreal thing. So I knocked on the door. I was like, hey, so I'm friends with the bartender from that Montana. And they're like, yeah, we have room for rent. So from there... Um, I was like, all right, now I have a place to, to to rent, and then it was really, 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 really inexpensive, which is nice, and um, and then I just said, okay, now I need to find some musicians. So every day I would walk up and down Sunset Boulevard and I would ask anyone if they wanted to start a punk band with me. And so they'd be like, oh, I like metal or I like this kind of music. I'm like, all right. And I'm like, I need a punk band. Do you like punk music? Do you want to start a punk band with me? And I did that every every day that I worked at... Fer- so you're yeah, 19 I at- years old
0: doing yeah, this. And you I worked where?
1: It was Jerry's Famous Deli.
0: Okay. <laughs> at
1: the Graveyard I Shift. I love
0: Jerry's. You do it, so what is that, 11 to 6 or something?
1: Yeah. And so when I didn't, when I wasn't working... That when I didn't have a shift, I would always be on Sunset Boulevard walking up and down, introducing myself to people, seeing if they want to start a band with me. And because I didn't know what else to do. And I did meet a band that did want to do punk music, that was a, a punk band called No Motive, actually. And uh, we did some, we wrote some songs together, we played a couple of shows. And uh, at one of our first shows, Randy Jackson was there. And he was like, I'm gonna help you get a record deal. I think you're awesome.
0: So Randy Jackson sees you, signs you.
1: So he sees me, he didn't sign me, but he wanted to make sure that I got signed. So okay. he kind of shopped my music around. And um, I got a record deal with Elektra Records and that I worked with Mark Ronson and he he was amazing. He had just worked with Amy Winehouse and Lily Allen. Wow. Um, and so, uh, it was i mean i worked with a bunch of different producers for that album but um mark i mean I, i'm such a big fan of his i love him so much but the record unfortunately just just like as it is in the music business gets shelved you know i mean why
0: was it shelved do you think what's the I, reason
1: i think that the label folded i mean it was just a cuz now they they folded into atlantic i think and or Atlanta? Uh, Atlantic. The Atlantic Ocean. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they
2: got swept up in the Atlantic Ocean?
1: <laughs> no, yeah, so they, um, they just, I mean, everybody everybody on the label got, you know, Shelled. Had, basically. Um, but I, I couldn't release music under my name for uh, seven years, and it was really difficult because that's just how it is, you know? And so um, when I was finally able to actually release music under my name, I was like, actually, I don't want to now. <laughs> I really nice. wanted to for so many years, but then when I could, I, I was happy to be the interrupters. And um, and I'm really loving that I'm not a solo artist. It's just something that I, it's it's a lot of pressure. And when I see solo artists, I'm just so admire them because I know how hard it is and I know how much pressure you can put on yourself and and all of that, and I think I my hat goes off to it, but to anyone that can do it, but I, I personally, I'm, I'm a band girl. For sure. right.
2: And now she's she always says like, well, you know, at least if the show's not good, it says the interrupters yeah. are there and yeah. not just my name. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly.
0: Amy, did you ever feel like that you had something to prove to anybody back in Montana? Like, look, see, I did it. You Maybe there were naysayers there. And like, look at me. Look, look how things are going.
1: Well, yeah, everybody except for my mom thought. My mom always supported me. My mom always believed in me, but uh, everybody thought I was absolutely insane to go to a big city like Los Angeles and not know anyone and just try and do music. It just sounds completely absurd. Um, but I believed that it was my destiny. I believed that that I didn't have. That was my life plan path like I was supposed to write music and meet other people that wanted to do music and where I was from that was just was never going to happen so like the first song on the record anything was better than where I was from it wasn't necessarily about a town or in a place it was the circumstances I was in that I just had to take the risk I had to see otherwise I would always be just be sitting in Montana not doing music wondering like what could have happened if I just was brave enough to go out and try it. And I'm now so glad I we're did. We're gonna
2: be headlining the Kettle House Amphitheater in Bonner, Montana, right outside we Missoula, are. in we September. Are? We
1: are, yeah. We're gonna go back and to that bar.
2: No, no, to no. a much, much bigger, bigger one. much bigger place. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's an amphitheater. It's an amphitheater in, in my hometown, and I haven't been back there and played played my hometown since 2015.
2: Yeah, we we did a support slot there in 2015. Yeah, so our it's our biggest Saturday. show in
1: my hometown. So it's it's, it's first a bit, headline too. It's a first headline show in my hometown since I left. So it's kind of a
0: well, wow, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, and you know. If- No one has said it to you recently. Kudos to you. That takes so much strength to leave a place where you were at 18, 19 years old and come out here, go to Orange County, then go to the Hollywood sign and then rent a room and then go work at Jerry's Deli. And then who wants to play punk rock? Who wants to do it? And then having the talent and the strength to be recognized and getting a deal with a real label and a zillion artists have been shelved. And look what happened. Here you are. Like you did it. You, you, you did it. it. It happened. So I found, because you're I found my people. I found, yeah. I'm, yes, you I'm did.
2: So, I'm so, so grateful. And you didn't even have to walk down Sunset Boulevard. You just had to go <laughs> on that Sugar Ray tour <laughs> in that field in Santa Margarita that one day. Yeah. And you're like, hey, what's up? Yeah. You playing a band? Let's play in a band. But it was love at first sight when yeah. Kevin and I met each other. That's true.
1: We both, when we shook each other's hand...
2: I was like, I know you already. I, I felt, like like we felt
1: like we knew each other and that we... Yeah. We just had this soul, instant soul connection. Meant
2: to be in each other's lives. And we were friends wow. for a
1: year wow. before we ever, you know, did any, you know, yeah. Roman- yeah. R- romantic at all. But we, we were friends for a year, and but we both we just felt that we were soulmates. Wow. Oh
3: and I kid you not on that tour, yeah. every night Kevin would like, wander up to one of us in the band and be like, have you seen my future wife anywhere?
0: Really? Yeah. And, and, me, and did he, you think he was crazy or were you? did you give him like, respect like, I'm not sure where Amy's at.
1: There's a video that I saw. I of saw a video of, of the met. night we met. we had a
2: video camera with us on that tour. And, and like, you
1: hear him off camera say, Asked where his future wife is uh, <laughs> The day we met
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah I was kind of stalker Kind
0: of cable guy <laughs> yeah, and cable Once again guy. Cable guy like, Where is the future wife? wife? Steven? <laughs> okay <laughs> Everyone go get the album In the wild I mean we keep hanging out We're gonna go have cake In the other yes, room Yes you know?
1: Absolutely
0: um, Should've brought my bathing suit should go swimming? Yes You can you go night swimming? Month. No, I don't go day swimming <laughs> <laughs> I Luckily, we can swim here. I haven't swam in the pool in like 10 years. What? Yes. Oh. It looks really you know, nice. There's no pool furniture out there. I threw it all away like 10 years ago. I'm like, I don't want to sit out there. I love you, Striker, but you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap it right there then. Well,
1: all right. we love you so much. And you, and, you. and you we And we just seriously, I mean, in 2014, you played us For the first time on the radio. Yeah, I remember that. And we'll never forget it. And we just love you so much. You've always been so supportive of us. And thank you.
0: I appreciate you saying that. And the support is right back at you guys. I'm a huge fan. And it's only getting bigger every single year. And it should be a marathon, not a sprint.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Uh, They are the interrupters. Everybody, find them on the road. Get the new record, and appreciate you checking out Tuna on Toast. I'll see you on the next one. Happy snuggles. Bye bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Tuna on
0: toast. (laughs)
3: That's another episode of Striker's Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get
1: better. Most likely. For sure. (laughs) Maybe.